so why don't you use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. Dylan! You son of a bitch! Hunter killers, predator fans, trophy hunters worldwide. Welcome back to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today we'll be discussing Minute 5 of Predator. Minute 5 opens with the manliest handshake we've seen so far and ends with, well the new manliest handshake ever. I would argue that this one still stands. I would argue that as well in terms of manly handshakes. But before we talk about the handshake, I think it would be good to just take this chronologically. We're finally out of the credits, which is a good and a bad. Bad in that you don't necessarily have as much of a flow to here's all the background research I'm doing, but good in that I feel it just opens up things for us a lot more. After General Phillips and Dutch in their brief greeting after Dutch leaves the chopper. The two of them go over the mission mission briefing, the whole reason why the general called in Arnold and his team. And the quick and dirty details are given by General Phillips, who is explaining that 18 hours ago, they lost a chopper carrying a cabinet minister and his aide in this charming little country, this unnamed little country, but they have a fix on the transponder, and they believe that the cabinet minister and the aide are in gorilla hands now. This cabinet minister, does he always travel on the wrong side of the border? (laughs) I like how you're going right to Arnold's quote here, because I would say that any quote that Arnold gives in this movie is still to this day a quotable line, because he talks about, right, on the wrong side of the border, Yeah. later on greets... Carl Weathers in this minute. Yeah, so this this original plan, this original mission is simply a rescue mission as it's presented to Dutch. Originally in this script, Dutch goes over this whole plan with General Phillips and Carl Weathers. Sorry, General Phillips and Dylan from start to finish. But instead, uh, in the movie, I like how this is done where very briefly... General Phillips goes over the the plan, the necessities with Arnold before Carl Weathers interrupts and they do the manly handshake and then go over the rest of the mission. I wanted to talk a little bit about the map they use that you see um, just really briefly a couple of times. Uh, there, there's a lot of map coding, but um, did you want to talk about the map a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I want to start by mentioning that I don't think this map was meant to be examined in great detail. I think this is something that we are doing just for fun. But as far as its impact on the actual movie, uh, it's safe to say that it has no impact. You're just supposed to know that you're looking at a map as far as it relates to the actual plot. But uh, some sort of fun things to note about it. You sort of alluded to the fact that there is some interesting coding and things on the map that make it sort of interesting to look at. The uh, first thing that is definitely noticeable is it's got some very obvious Brazilian place names on it. So it's clearly a map of, of somewhere in Brazil. And if you look in one of the frames, uh, it gives you a name 
that you can pick out it says Chapada das Mangaberes, which is a mountain range in Brazil, sort of north central Brazil. And one of the reasons why we're looking over this is to see if they give us any clues as to where this movie is supposed to take place. And I want to be clear that Chapada das Mangaberes is like this uh, kind of savanna looking terrain based on the stuff I'm seeing on uh, Google searches of it. It's not a tropical rainforest or jungle, which is what you okay. see in the movie. So it's clearly not in the area that's depicted on the map. Not to mention the fact that this movie is all about communist guerrillas in a Spanish-speaking country, and Brazil doesn't really have a history of either of those things. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, so it wouldn't make sense for it to be in Brazil, just to be clear. Some of the other uh, interesting things on the map, uh, you uh, actually, I think, did a really good job of pointing some of these things out to me before and clarifying some of the thoughts on it, is the map has some things written on it. So it's got a couple things on it. Uh, when he first points at the map, you get a little bit of a bigger overview, and then they zoom in more closely uh, a minute later on the sort of the, the wider shot, slightly wider shot. Uh, one of the things you can see is something that looks like some kind of flight trajectory pointing to a spot that's then designated with a big red dot where it says first contact, and then it's got a, a time next to it. 2322 and then uh, next to it it's got the word code with a four digit code after it which as you point out is absolutely the way you would denote a transponder code like a beacon that would you would activate in the event of a crash or would self-activate and then at the bottom of it it says c130 and that hard to say exactly what that refers to my guess is that refers to whatever aircraft it was that picked up the signal and so it's probably a c130 uh, nearby is what they're referring to and then uh, they have a uh, small semicircle drawn around uh, the dot, and presumably that's something like a uh, you know a possible radius that the aircraft could have gone down on, because the transponders, it's certainly in 1980s technology, would not have been able to necessarily give you a pinpointed location. Have to estimate that it's going to be within a certain number of a certain distance certain number of miles or kilometers of, of a particular point. And then down in the lower left, there's some other sort of unintelligible numbers and letters that I'm not going to try to decipher. I'm, right. I'm going to go ahead and guess that they don't mean anything particularly important. And then uh, they give a little bit closer shot a second later. And then it's even more obvious that you're looking at a map of Brazil. But I think the idea is that you're looking at a map... And uh, that's supposed to tell the characters in the movie important information. So I think now would be a reasonable time to speculate on exactly where you think this this movie takes place. I've got some ideas of where I think it, it, it might be. What about yourself? What are your thoughts? What have you read? What I've been reading about the location is all the outside materials want you to believe it's this fictional country of Valverde, which is referenced in Predator 2 by name, and it's also referenced in Die Hard 2. But when you in Die Hard 2? look at the movie, yeah, in Die Hard 2, that's going to be the destination. Okay. Wait, it's either the destinations they're all flying to at the end before John McClane blows the plane up, or uh. it's where... They freed the political prisoner. But in the movie itself, and you've talked about this before, it never gives an actual location. They never say the country of. Right here is about as specific as you can be where he says in this charming little country, right? It's meant to have no name. It's meant to be no place, but it's definitely meant to evoke, right? Central America, Guatemala, Belize. You've been to Costa Rica, so maybe it maybe it could be that, but I, I, I really don't know. I don't, I don't have any speculation other than it's just a newer kind of place and people online debate saying, well, they say it's Valverde in these outside sources, but the movie doesn't say it. 
So therefore, it's just unknown. But what about you? What do you think? Well, just like I was talking about with the map, I don't think it really matters that much uh, as far as the the plot of the movie goes. But I I do want to point out that topically speaking, this is, I think, a really good choice for this movie in the mid 80s. The the mid 80s was a time when uh, Central America was the site of a a lot of different struggles between communist sympathetic forces and forces that were capitalistic that were backed by the United States. By far the most well-known instance of that is the in Nicaragua, the the Contras. So you probably have heard of the Iran-Contra scandal where uh, the United States sold weapons to its sworn enemy, Iran, in order to get money to give to these rebels in Nicaragua to fight the communist government, the rebels called the Contras. Wikipedia has actually got a really good article sort of summarizing the sort of U.S.'s involvement in Central America throughout the 70s and 80s. They call it, I think at the time, the they called that that foreign policy issued the Central American crisis. And so uh, several countries were involved in that. Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, they all had communist forces battling other (laughs) forces. And uh, the U.S. universally backed not the communists. <laughs> so right. the uh, as opposed to you know China and Soviet Union at the time were much more invested in the communist forces that were that were present there in communist governments that were trying to set up. My personal feeling is that this scene right here that we're watching is probably supposed to be in a country like Honduras. Honduras was like one of the the lone holdouts that didn't really ever have any really significant communist presence within its borders, and so the U.S. sort of set up its base of operations there, and then they. Would would uh, offer training and base all of their own units in Honduras uh, until it became time for them to go to go to one of these other countries and fight. So right. if I had to guess, I would say in this scene they're in Honduras and then the country they're going to where they fight all the guerrillas would be either Guatemala or Nicaragua and so uh, somewhere just over the border. So one of the bordering countries of that. My uh, my time in Nicaragua tells me that Nicaragua is a little less likely. It's not quite as wild and full of jungle as some of the other Central American countries. Guatemala certainly is is a lot more like a tropical rainforest kind of terrain that they have in this movie. The okay. uh, uh, Costa Rica has a lot of that also, but Costa Rica's pretty well stayed out of a lot of these troubles, which is one of the reasons why Costa Rica is kind of the much more <laughs> plush places to visit today <laughs> compared to Guatemala or Nicaragua. Hmm, interesting. I don't. I never think about those countries as having that communist influence, that communist uh, regime kind of take over, like Cuba has, and you know, still has to this day. Where if you visit, it's very clear that they're behind on a lot of things due to the way the government was run. Sure. So that's that's interesting. You yeah. Know? Well, I think. Well, I guess for for better or worse, the uh, the way it's worked out is the communist movements in those countries are much quieter and sort of violent organized armed conflict is as on the scale that they saw in the 70s and 80s has basically ended uh, in those countries. They have all kinds of different problems now that are often centered on just lots of different kinds of poverty that exists there and drug trade and really powerful gangs, but, but not the communist movements that were a problem back in the 70s and 80s. Right. And someone watching this in the 80s, once they see this imagery, I'm sure they're, or if, if they're watching this imagery and they're caught up on on their current events that their mind is going to the same place about oh this is communist country oh yeah I'm sure they're thinking, well, I'm sure they're thinking of Nicaragua and the Contras because the, the Iran-Contra scandal as it became because the U.S. wasn't supposed to be selling weapons to 
its sworn enemy, Iran, and they weren't supposed to be funding rebel armies in Central America. That's something that dragged out in the news for, gosh, years afterwards. So that's definitely, right. I think, what people would be thinking about for sure. Okay. And this brief briefing is... <laughs> <laughs> is punctuated by R.G. Armstrong's acting. Uh, he gives a lot of knowing looks. Just the way he's telling it is very much like someone just telling a story. He has a, a really warm manner about which he's going over the details. He, he's not giving it like some kind of cut and dry military mission of we need to go here, we need to go there. It's told very colloquially, just very like, here's what happened. We're going to go in, going to rescue them. I don't know. I, it's some good acting with just the little time he has on screen, just knowing looks, knowing nods, giving a knowing wink at Arnold as he's going over the mission details. Just someone who's essentially giving really subtle acting, I believe at this point, right before the acting starts going over the top as R.G. Armstrong does not answer Arnold's question about why he, the general, is not using the regular army and instead calling on Arnold's team to do this job. And why is Arnold's team being called to this job? Aaron? Because someone accused you of being the best. I think we're going to have to quote this movie, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind putting the explicit tag on a few of these episodes. So, Oh, sorry. Let me rephrase. Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. Then Arnold turns. He just has this great turn right here where he is not giving like this amused turn at first. He's very much giving this turn like... Wait, someone's been watching us. Someone's right there. And then he starts breaking into a grin of recognition and yells out, Dylan! Sees Dylan approaching him. This is all canonized as epic handshake background. Sees Dylan, says, Dylan! Dylan's walking towards him. You son of a bitch! They clap hands and they begin the epic handshake to end all handshakes. Boom. There they are. It zooms right to Arnold's humongous right bicep. Carl Weathers is wearing his short sleeve button down. A little bit of background I can give there on Carl Weathers. I was watching an interview before we started recording uh, for this minute. Carl Weathers talked about bring down his own linen suit of all things, his own linen suit because it's hot, it's the jungle, it's something cool that he could wear. So he Went to a tailor beforehand, bought this really, really fancy linen suit. And guess what? That linen suit had long sleeves for the shirt. Uh, so <laughs> initially, he was wearing that and John McTiernan said, no, no, you, you want to roll up your sleeves for this for this scene, for this moment. <laughs> Carl Weathers said, there's no way I can roll up my sleeves with these huge guns. So he had to essentially cut uh, the sleeves off. So when you're looking at, when you're staring at those bulging biceps as they're shaking hands in this air arm wrestling handshake, you're looking at Carl Weathers' white, really cut off <laughs> button-down shirt, which I think is hilarious. And if you look closely at those, yeah, it's the, those look like some really rough sleeves for a short sleeve shirt, and they're definitely not rolled up. So they've been cut to accommodate for this scene. And Arnold, of course, is wearing the red polo. If we backtrack a little bit in the minute, you'll see, oh, this is an actual polo brand shirt. It has the blue logo of the guy on the horse uh, on the chest region, the left chest region, the left peck i guess talk about the handshake <laughs> dylan these guys are strong real strong you know carl weathers that i don't know if we mentioned this nfl football player for a year with the oakland raiders very strong man and then obviously kept in good shape all those years in the rocky movies and then i uh, was keeping up his string of action hits going with this one and 
he's showing here that he can he can almost keep up with the uh, the other big bad guys in this movie. He is a strong, strong man. A lot of the behind the scenes commentary talks on and on about how strong and how how much uh, work these guys put into their bodybuilding. They, I guess, were super competitive about it. John McTiernan has said in an interview, and he says in the DVT director's commentary about how they're all getting up early and going to the gym and trying to outcompete each other. Carl Weathers said he didn't want anyone to know any of his weightlifting secrets. Right. He'd be there at like 3 a.m. or something and tell everyone that he didn't ever work out, that he's just said natural muscles like that. Arnold has this quote where he says that he had a bet with Jesse Ventura about who had the biggest biceps. Right. And so he wanted to up the stakes. And so he was telling Jesse, well, why don't we put a bottle of champagne on it and uh, sort of entice him into accepting the bet. He had like one of the wardrobe guys. He fed him some false information about how big his biceps were. Right. So I uh, went and told Jesse Ventura the number. And Jesse's like, oh, well, I got that beat easy. And then uh, and then when it came time to actually measure it, found out he had been tricked. And so he owed Arnold a bottle of champagne. Anyway, just lots of really strong guys here and they were working out and you can you can see it in the movie they're <laughs> they're all quite quite visibly in good shape yeah it was a combination of them working out all the time and then being in mexico where the food was constantly poisoning them and just giving them horrendous diarrhea so they <laughs> were losing all sorts of weight they stopped eating at times so throughout the movie you'll see it especially on arnold he is just losing weight as the movie goes on uh we're at the end when you know he's he's taking on the predator one-on-one he is just looking gaunt but still so so buff so muscular yeah john mctiernan said that he learned from this movie how to how to avoid these culinary disasters that tend to accompany <laughs> going to the tropics and so what you, you don't have to eat. do is you have to find one restaurant and take it over for the entire trip john mctiernan goes away from this movie saying a lot of things uh, and one of the things he was saying was when it comes to Picking your location, your shooting locations, your filming locations. As a director, you have to be totally in charge of that and not rely on other people because that's where you start running into trouble, where people are not choosing the best necessarily for the movie, but maybe picking something that will give the location selector an in with someone else or with a politician or line the pockets more of a business versus doing what's best for the movie. And it's it's interesting uh, hearing that take. But didn't you say John McTiernan had some other things to say about the acting? Maybe one positive and one negative? Yeah, so John McTiernan, he, uh, he, he offered a very insightful commentary on this movie. We haven't really talked about it much up till this minute and it was it's really helpful to to sort of see his take on it <laughs> it's one of the themes throughout is uh i don't i don't know how much he actually liked this movie so he had a he had a lot of a lot of things to say about this movie that maybe emphasized the challenges more than uh, emphasized sort of the success of the movie so one of the things he first starts out in the scene is he's talking about rg armstrong and he just says he thought he was way too old for the part and he looked terrible and they had to apply, he said, just hours and hours of makeup to make him look like someone who was still uh, a viable human being. It's like, it certainly felt like kind of a harsh critique of someone who I thought did exactly what they were supposed to do in this movie. Oh, totally. And then he had lots of 
praise and positive things about say about Carl Weathers. And uh, he says that this is really one of the key things that made the movie work. And I think I agree with him. But what, what John McTiernan said was that he wanted to make sure that he had a really solid actor with a solid acting background to play the closest counterpart to uh, to Arnold. And that's definitely what Carl Weathers' role is in this movie is, is as Arnold's old buddy and now his comrade again. Uh, and I think he's right that the scenes between him and Carl Weathers, I thought actually got pulled off very believably, which was good. So mm-hmm. I think up to this point, Arnold had had a few like one-on-one scenes with other people and they didn't always come across as like the most serious or scenes that you could, that you could really completely buy into exactly what Arnold was trying to convey as an actor. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of like, you know, scenes from Conan and Red Sonja and uh, Commando up to this point where it's a lot of quips and a lot of one-liners, which are in this movie also, obviously. But one thing I think that's relatively new for Arnold, in fact, I don't remember seeing this in any movie prior to prior to this one for him, was he actually does do a few scenes, uh, one-on-one especially with Dylan, uh, with Carl Weathers' character, where he actually comes across as, as being a very believable actor, which I think was, was a really cool thing for him. Yeah, I totally agree and from what i heard on the commentary as well was that arnold often when carl weathers was acting in a scene that arnold was not in that arnold would not be in his trailer and arnold would just be watching studying carl weathers acting and so maybe over the course of the movie we'll see the acting even improve between arnold and others but arnold definitely gives a lot of credit to carl weathers for his acting in this movie and arnold is someone who hones whatever craft he's pursuing. And this is the same. People talk about uh, in the oral history, Arnold going to the producers and the director and saying, this line has four words. My character should have three. So the crew tends to support Arnold and, and say that he knew what he was doing with his character and that he knew his character really well. And if you watch this movie, yeah, there are the quips and the one-liners, but for the most part, his character is down to business in whatever situation. And here's just a small glimpse into his relationship with a character from the past uh, without having to say, this is my old buddy from my old crew and these are the missions we went on. It's just handshake, arm wrestle. I heard about that job in Berlin and then they move on to uh, the current business. And I really like that showing versus telling us all the background we have all the background we need from this this uh this reunion for sure this uh carl weathers reminds me of a story that uh, he told about working on uh, the first rocky movie so carl it actually has like some a lot of formal acting training has a very great acting background which i think made him play really well against sylvester stallone and arnold in some of these right. movies as as sort of the more like actor compared to his his co-stars and mm-hmm. he, he talks about uh, first auditioning for Rocky, and he sits down next to Stallone and is reading Stallone's script of Rocky, the one he won the Academy Award for. And and he says they're going back and forth, and he says he looks at, at Stallone, and he says, can we get the actual actor in here that I'm going to be working with? This is really difficult <laughs> oh, no. with, with, with you. <laughs> And, and then Stallone had to explain to him, I, actually, I am 
going to be the star and the director and the writer. It's me. It's me, Carl. It's just yeah. me. I'm, 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 so I'm wrong. And that was, to be fair to Sylvester, that was early in his career also. So I'm sure that his, I haven't, I haven't kept as careful track of Stallone as, as I have of Arnold, but, but I'm sure his acting also improved over time, likely as a result of working with people like Carl Weathers. Something I took note of was the, uh, the music takes a break for this meeting, this briefing this uh, couple of minutes span of them talking about the mission it just becomes sure. all fully work it's just all you hear background marching you hear some left right left in the background you hear the constant move moving of helicopters jeeps you hear the ceiling fans themselves which honestly is is a great little swishy aggressive sound that you have in the background if you, if you are listening for it it's just this sound just just very lightly in the background just constantly because you have the ceiling fan right above carl weathers uh, in this scene um, i don't know if there's supposed to be a ceiling fan above the general and dutch as they're looking at the map but you you see the light playing through the fan on general phillips as he's briefing arnold uh, we talked about cinematography with don mcalpine previous minute here we're seeing some of that cinematography that lighting on display as they're going from exterior dusk interior with the lights underlighting their faces as they're looking at the map. And then once he and Carl Weathers shake hands, do the arm wrestle, everything's nice and brightly lit so you can see the glisten on those muscles. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine Don Mac Don McAlpine saying, Oh, we need we need more need more light from the overhead or we need more light from, you know, over Arnold's shoulder for the shot. Shining right on those arms. And shiny. Do, do you have some shea butter? Do you have some <laughs> coconut oil? <laughs> but along with the lighting, the sound effects and the acting, we have uh, the good editing clipping all together from when when he says Dylan, he says, You son of a bitch, right when they clap hands, it has a great rhythm. I really like the rhythm rhythm of this scene. Uh, really no script difference in the handshake itself. I'll read off what the script says, as it is in the original script. Hunter. Schaefer. Dylan, you son of a bitch. The two men step forward and simultaneous swing from the hip as if to land a punch, but their hands slap together in a gesture of friendship, their forearms bulging, testing each other's strength. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, lo- I love just just how much the script knew what they're going for. They're <laughs> they're they're not dancing around it. They're 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 going right after it. This is a manly handshake with muscles bulging, but they're still good good friends. Did I see some YouTube comments that you had seen specifically on this clip? Yeah, you did. I, I anytime you look at this clip on YouTube, and I'm not ashamed to say I've looked at it on YouTube a few times. A lot of YouTube comments pop up with just the awesomeness of this handshake and the reactions. One commenter says, "My profile pic didn't have a beard until I watched this. Then after watching this, I built the hospital I was born in." which I think is a Chuck Norris joke, but (laughs) it applies to this too. Here's one that's relevant. I was watching this in my car. I got off and left my phone while the video was still playing. Came back to see my car was now a chopper. (laughs) Played it on my phone in a bus. All women in here are now pregnant. Probably my favorite is, I send this video to a Nigerian prince and he wired me a million (laughs) dollars. Love that stuff. Uh, not only is the this epic handshake just canonized, like I said before, as the most epic handshake in cinema history, uh, but it's become a meme over time where 
it's meant to symbolize two sides of an issue agreeing on some part of that issue, such as rap being one arm, punk being one the other arm, and they're shaking hands. And in the middle, it says not calling the police <laughs> or one arm representing men, one arm representing women shaking hands over disliking Amy Schumer. Not that I dislike Aww. her, but I just thought that was... <laughs> yeah, some of them are brutal. I did not include the more brutal ones. Or omnivores and vegetarians shaking hands over garlic bread. Or Mamma Mia fans and Mission Impossible fans shaking hands over bankrupting movie pass. <laughs> okay. So the most epic of handshakes... Didn't you say you had a MoviePass subscription? I do not have the MoviePass subscription. I have the AMC A-list. And are they still pass? They still in business? Well, MoviePass is MoviePass has over the last few months been changing its policy a lot to try to keep up with the the fees and the agreements they have with movie theater chains. And quite frankly, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to keep up with that. So the movie theater chains in response to movie pass have come up with their own passes. AMC's pass allows you to see up to three movies a week, any format, any movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So you end up with the possibility of something like 12 movies a month for the $20, the $20 pass. Or I plan to use the pass actually to see the predator in a couple of weeks. I've already reserved my IMAX ticket. I know. Yeah. So right on. So do we have anything left to say about Epic Handshake? Oh, we let ah, we totally forgot the the quotes or the the main quote we we see before this handshake yeah, is I was cut waiting off. For you to, waiting for you to get to it. I think this scene kicks off sort of the feel of the dialogue for the whole movie. It's entirely consistent throughout the whole movie. That's one of the things I like about about Predator is that the dialogue doesn't change from beginning to end. The uh, the same types of of lines are in it all the way through. And yeah, and it, it starts right here in this scene. Yeah, with just being really straightforward, it, it doesn't really stop. And they clap hands, and they hold it, and they hold that arm wrestle for a few seconds, looking like they're straining against each other. Arnold looks down almost quizzically at, at the handshake and says, what's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils, indicating that <laughs> Carl Weathers now has this desk job and not able to push the iron as much. <laughs> and lo- lo- losing his edge not in the field anymore like they used to be and they'll talk later about their how they served in vietnam together and so they they obviously have a lot of history together and if, if you're hurting for seeing muscles on the screen have no fear right you're gonna you're gonna have screens full of <laughs> screens full of it later on especially when they're setting the traps for the predator yeah and the next time i see you i mean i guarantee we're doing this handshake I mean, it's just no no argument. We're doing the handshake. Okay, we will we will see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. We'll see just how manly we can be. That's right. We'll try not to push too many pencils. <laughs> I know. I have to go. I have to go get my pump on now. <laughs> As Carl this Weathers movie would does say, make me want to go work out sometimes. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. All right. So, anything else to add? I'm gonna have me some fun. I'm gonna have me some fun. I'm gonna have me some fun. She's so sweet. <laughs> Everything I need. Gonna have me some fun. <laughs> All right. With that, this has been Predator Minute. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And until next time. Billy, find me a way out of this hole. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Our theme music is provided by Chaosware. Predator Minute can be found on the following podcatcher services iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher. 
tune in in Podcast Republic with more to come. Predator Minute is hosted on SoundCloud at Predator Minute Podcast. Predator Minute has a social media presence on Twitter and Facebook at Predator Minute. If you have questions or comments, please email us at predatorminute at gmail.com. 